0: Hello and welcome to episode number ninety, the and Show podcast, January 29, 2018. We make moves. This one's on chapters five through seven of Elephant in the Brain. The Elephant in the Brain by Kevin Simler and Robin Hansen. I have a slight like lump in my throat kind of, uh, not related to the book, just being sick sort of. So if that affects my speech, you know, it's challenges. Life is difficult, but you got to roll through it. Yeah, a little bit. But it might affect, I might sound like, hey, how's it going? And this book, I will be doing interview with both authors, which is wonderful. Very cool. Uh, this is chapters 4 through 7. You might be wondering, Armin, why not 4, th- uh, I mean 5 through 7. Why not 5 through 8? usually I do 4 chapters. Well, I switched it up. Maybe I'll do 1 to 4, 5 to 7, 8 to 11, and then 12 to 17, something like that. Hard to say. Something like that. There's no rules in life. Now, let's go right into it. Chapter 5. Okay, 4. 5. 5. Self-deception. So we do self-deception a lot. Fool ourselves to fool others, in a way. Uh, There's many examples where people use self-deception to make themselves look better than is actual. We do this all the time. It also is used to keep our self-esteem high, we fool ourselves like we are doing good and keep away pain because maybe things aren't, aren't well uh, but we distort reality so that we can roll forward or else people will just end themselves repeatedly and couldn't build on things and maybe things are temporary and shouldn't be treated as permanent uh, by our minds. Feelings can make temporary things seem permanent. Oh, that's not even in the book. Just adding that in there. There are also ways to self-deceive to manipulate other people. So you convince them, like, uh, maybe you can manipulate them by uh, limiting communication channels that you put out, making you seem more something, more valuable, or more witty than you are, whatever it is. You can also show lack of knowledge seem dumb to people so that they uh maybe are nicer to you or something trust you more so that's a manipulation thing and one comment i took from this chapter he said those who refuse to play such mind games will be at a game theoretic disadvantage relative to others who play along if there's a game happening or you're in a certain market as i've mentioned before you got to participate in the rules of that market or game or you shouldn't be in that Once you enter the thing, you're part of that framework. So that's a key point for life. You don't go into a thing and then complain about it existing or how it works. You went into it. Except life. That one, everybody joined uh, without their choosing. But they hear. So that's good. Also, modularity. So this chapter talked about how the brain has separate sections to process and then they come together to make decisions so it's not like our brain is one instant unit linear it's like a network parts of the brain win out against other parts and then you get your decisions huh interesting chapter six counterfeit reasons so we don't always know why we do what we do and one thing that showed that was the split brain experiments where those with the missing did i talk about this already on the episode i don't know but those with the, the middle of their brain, the corpus callosum, was cut out. And they would have the person move their left hand, which their right brain would control. And then they, they would ask their left brain, why did they move their hand? And because they were missing their corpus callosum to connect the brains and have the right brain send that info over, they were really just asking the left brain. And the left brain would just make up an answer, not knowing why. That's what our brain does. It just comes up with stuff, which links to the concept of the press secretary having a part of our brain that's just answering for stuff like, this is why I did it. Mm -hmm. This is the reason. Yep. It's always supporting our subconscious. And it'll answer for it. But it'll never question it. Kind of like the actual press secretary of the president. Yeah. Any president that we have. They sort of always are on their uh, team. There are ways to test these things, like the split-brain test, or you leave people to make a choice. Like they had people pick two pictures, which one's more attractive. Then they switched the picture to the less attractive one, according to that person, and had them explain why it was more attractive, and the person did. Much of the time. Thus, coming up with the answer, even when it wasn't what matched their choice. Dang. Yeah. Uh, Then we go to chapter 7. Chapter 7. Yeah, also chapter 6, there was a rationalization thing. You mentioned, like, we don't always say the actual reason why we did something. We might say, I want to help people, but actually I want to be famous, you know. Or uh, I want to keep my stuff hidden for privacy, but actually I want to keep it hidden because it makes me look bad, usually. So there might be... Different reasons that are presented. Maybe we're even fooling ourselves sometimes in that regard. So that those uh, two chapters plus the first four was part one of the book, Why We Hide Our Motives. Now on to part two of the book, Hidden Motives in Everyday Life. This one was about body language. There's a lot we do that we don't know 100% why we're we doing it. Most of it we don't actually know why directly. We just do it automatically, autonomously, if you will. And our body does it. It's an instant response we'll move our feet or our eye contact towards people will respond to how we view them uh in a dominance style or we look up to them or down to them or status comparison between the two people this is shown in body language one thing in this chapter was notable was eye contact uh, if, you are, if you have dominant eye contact, the ratio of your eye contact when you're talking is about the same. It's a one-to-one as, when you're, as your eye contact when you're listening. Whereas it's much lower, 0.6 ratio, if you are su- submitting submissive to the other person eye contact-wise. So you will have less eye contact when talking. You'll have about the same amount uh, when listening or less when talking. When you talk and you look at the person, it's a it's a f- somewhat of a forceful thing. You're imposing. So you wouldn't do that as much unless you were more dominant. And then also another thing in this chapter was we look at who's leading. So, for example, if there's a meeting, if you were at a job, the people working at the job wouldn't leave. The meeting until the boss was like, this meeting is done. So he says the tone of when people leave. If somebody left before that, it would be like, it's like their status. They're representing their status. Huh. So, you know, think about these things in life. It There's a lot of messages we're sending underneath things, whether we know it or not. Yeah. And then also this chapter mentioned we're unaware of much body language that we do, one, because it needed to be instantly responsive, and two, it covers up a lot. If it's a hidden layer, there doesn't have to be all this explanation, and maybe it would be offensive to some people, or it would be uh, dangerous in a society that functions together. So instead of that, it is kept underneath, and then we'll just do things automatically... Sometimes it also mentioned walking, dominant person will have the other person match their walking speed. Things like this. To keep track of every little thing could be a work, a heavy workload. But just to do it underneath is what we've done for thousands of years. Yeah, that was chapters 5 through 7 of the book. Uh, Onward are different chapters, so body language was one category. And other ones will be different categories of society and looking at the hidden motives. So that's the rest of the book. I'll probably go through some number of chapters next time. That's real informative, Armin. How many? Some number. And always continue to do, read, talk, discuss, whatever it may be. Because uh, momentum is something, if you have it, you go with it. Because it's like you're riding the wave. Or with the avalanche, or the snowball effect, something like that. There is something to it, and I recognize it these days. Consistency is hard to beat with variety, almost impossible. Maybe not even possible. So there are different things; they're not mutually exclusive. But if you had to pick one, consistency leads the pack. I'll close it up there. That was chapters five through seven: the elephant in the brain. Uh, Other chapters coming soon. Interview article with both authors coming within a week. And the crowd goes wild. Glad to have you all as listeners. On to the next. This has been episode number 90. 90. And we are out.